Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's Pull List for New Comics on sale January 11th, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M, if you didn't know, stands for Marmalade. What is Marmalade? That's like a jam, right? Yeah, it's it's not a jam, but it's a jam. Sure. Jasmine, I wanted to mention something that we forgot last week uh, because we saw the release of Captain America The Ghost Army by writer Alan Gratz and artist Brent Schoonover. It's an original graphic novel from Marvel and Scholastic. It released last week. It's great. Uh, I know I have Alan and Brent coming on to This Week in Marvel, our other podcast soon. And uh, have you gotten a chance to read it yet? I have not. I started it a little bit, mm. but I'm very excited to get into it. Yeah. Look, Captain America, Bucky, beating up Nazis, fighting ghosts. There's monsters. Here for it. Can't beat it. All right. We do have a lot of stuff to get to this week, though, because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details and reasons to check out every new comic each week. We are going to give you our three personal picks for the week. That's uh, like the three books we absolutely want you to buy because... They're the ones that Jasmine and I would buy first above all else. Uh, So we we really like pick these specifically because these are the ones that we love. And then we'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week. There's a whole bunch. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery, hopefully, mostly, reason for you to check out each issue by giving out an award named after a quote pulled from one of this week's releases. We'll get into all that award talk later. Plus, we'll run through some new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, some highlights from issues new to MU this week, and some picks for collections on sale this week. And on top of all that, we are joined by a guest for a reading club focused on comics you can read on Marvel Unlimited. And uh, Jasmine, what are we talking about this week? We are talking to friend of the show, Torin Clark. He's a cover artist on several of your favorite titles. We're going to be talking to him about his upcoming work on Silver Surfer, Ghostlight Number 1, as well as the first appearance of L.B. Harper, who is a star of that book, in Silver Surfer Number 5, uh, the original 1969 issue, as well as a little bit of a Rebirth of Thanos from the 1980s run of Silver Surfer. God just gorgeous gorgeous stuff. the best best stuff if you want to hear us talk about how great ron lim is this is the show for you and silver Surfer ghost light comes out february 1st we'll get into all that later but right now let's get into our picks of the week first up we've got amazing spider-man number 17 and it is so good we've got really a ton of great variant covers as always you can see uh we've got variant covers by ed mcginnis cliff rathburn and marcia Meniz. and i really love 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 there's a design variant by ed which shows some of the new favorite characters you're gonna find in here the insidious six i love them so much. We're going to get into those. This issue is written by Zeb Wells with art by Ed McGuinness, Cliff Rathburn, and Marcio Meniz, lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna, and edited by that monster himself, Albert Banasek. Oh, we hate Albert. Heard a lot about that guy. I know. He's a monster. Anyway, this is part of Dark Web. If you don't know, it's the big Spider-Man and X-Men crossover in which, like, pissed off clones, you know them, you love them, Madeline Pryor and Ben Riley. They are causing Inferno-style havoc in New York City, mostly New York City, but a lot of it also takes place in Limbo, like this issue, which is pretty much all in Limbo. You've got uh, Peter Parker, J. Jonah Jameson, and Robbie Robertson. They are in Limbo, and you've got 
<laughs> you've got demons pretending to be human, which is the best. just so much fun. It's very silly. It, uh, As I mentioned, this, the Insidious Six, it introduces seven of my new favorite characters. Six of them are the Insidious Six. You've got a whole bunch of them, plus... Plus, Parker Man, who becomes Rap, which is on the cover. He's a demon who was shown kindness by Peter Parker. And then he looks up to Peter. He's like, oh, I want to be him. Uh, later on in the issue, he gets a bit of a symbiote, which ties into another dark web issue. And then he becomes this bizarre version of Spidey, a very bizarre See what I, did I think there, you mean Jeff? glorious and gorgeous. Oh my he's... God, he's so good. Uh, but the Love Insidious him. Six, the Insidious Six are incredible. They're all designed by Ed McGinnis. You have Dr. Octoball, the Grave Goblin, Riceratops, Kraken the Hunter, Lizaro, and the Gorpion. I, I, I will not lie. When I first saw these designs, I immediately sent them to Jesse Falcon, who is, uh, who works on Marvel Legend. I was like, Jesse, if we don't have these as toys within the next two years, I will bite you. I need like a whole entire like dark web just bundle pack of all these characters. Not only the Insidious Six, but I need Wreck-Rap. I need to get chasm in there Mm -hmm. i want all of it yeah uh look ed mcginnis one of our favorites his art is big and it's over the top and you can tell it's very clear he's having a ton of fun in this the those six designs for the insidious six very inspired they're weird and wacky uh but you also i love that the the demon you know his vibe for Peter Parker is very emotive. You see his big eyes. He's like in love with Peter. He looks up to him. There's just such exuberance in all those panels and all the pages. And then there's a sequence in this issue with J. Jonah Jameson in this demonic version, this limbo version of the Daily Bugle. That is absolutely so much fun. Uh, and Zeb Wells, of course, the writer, having a blast with this as well. You, you've got him saying, I want tasty pics of Spider-Man, which is, I didn't know that that was a line I really wanted, but it is the line that I'm so glad we have. Um, you've got that. There's, a, there's another panel. Jasmine, how much did you laugh at the panel of J. Jonah Jameson in his like house apartment, whatever it is, in limbo, with the bed seductively trying to get him to sleep it in is- it? gross and creepy but also just hilarious it the whole this whole book gives like a very like tim burtony like uh beetlejuice type vibe yeah that's a great description i am here for it like it's so good yeah uh truly truly dark web in in uh amazing spider-man is so much fun right now yes and that takes us to our next pick of the week which is black panther number 13 it's my first pick of the week this book has just been like the last like three, four issues have just been like running on full steam. Like this is essentially Black Panther versus the Avengers. It's a book that's been years in the making. It's something that has constantly been plaguing the Black Panther. He's got all these dark secrets. He's always been fighting against whether or not he is an Avenger first or the king of a country first. And when the country is no longer a monarchy, like what happens? How does all this stuff come to come bite him back in the butt? And like it just comes here in full strength. John Ridley is the writer on this book. Gorgeous. But Hermano Peralta is just killing it on the art. Like there is this entire sequence where we get not only like each Avenger fighting against a different member of Black Panther's team that he's kind of slowly assembled where they're all essentially Wakandan allies, Um, whether it's gentle from the mutant side of things, whether it's some of his former agents, whether it's Shuri, it's great. But like there is a sequence where we see Thor and we see Captain Marvel and they just look like terrifying. They are absolutely (laughs) scary. And 
it makes them look so menacing and powerful and I, I love it but it also just makes you like realize how much of a challenge these characters are against black panther like they are pissed and like on top of that there is a what a three four page sequence from this book where it's just black panther versus captain america and it starts with this one single panel where all you see is black panther just hanging out flying a ship and you just see this entire shield just like coming straight at him and he's just like oh i knew 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 that my grandfather shouldn't have given him that vibranium that like god oh it was so good yeah. and the entire fight reminded me a lot of and this is a completely like they're not the same character but in civil war where we get that face off between punisher and captain america like they are exchanging blows but they're also exchanging these like massive like feelings and words and like that's what we get here like captain america is pissed and for him to be pissed at black panther it says a lot and each punch is just like a gut punch to what is happening to these two friends, allies, and I cannot recommend this book enough. Yeah. All right. Third pick of the week is Wolverine number 29. For our variant cover hunters out there, I got to tell you, go pick up Maria Wolf's variant. It is, I mean, there is not a variant that Maria has done in the last year or two that I haven't loved. This one, spectacular. It's Wolverine with just gnarly blood and smoke and all kinds of crazy stuff in it. Uh, and then there's also a variant by Ben Harvey, which has Wolverine is is in it, and that's fine. But it also has Rogue in her Savage Land getup, which, come on, Jasmine. I love Rogue. I love and Rogue. I love her in this mode. Like, yeah. this is like... It's just classic. Like, how could you not? Yeah. Uh, it's written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Reap, and uh, Frank Darmada with lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. Now, the last few issues, we've seen that Beast, Hank McCoy, has killed and resurrected Wolverine as a more feral but kind of controllable version. Beast has been using Wolverine to do uh, all of Beast's dirty work and then... Over the course of like the last two or three issues, Logan has slowly been pulling himself back together, like psychically. Physically, he's there. He's got this healing factor, but psychically, he's been a mess. Here, this issue is a big part of him coming back to normal, and this part of the story is actually called Mind Garden. It's mostly about Wolverine working through all his pain and his demons within the pit of Krakoa. The pit of Krakoa is the like prison of Krakoa, and it is part of Krakoa, the living island. So it, it's like Krakoa trying to help, kind of, Wolverine get through his rage and his anguish. And if you want rage and anguish, Benjamin Percy is your guy. And uh, Juan Jose Reap doing all his gnarly, really detailed, bloody, vicious stuff. That you, you get to see that Ben and Juan Jose, they really gel together, especially in this issue. It's a mix of really awful damn stuff that uh, Wolverine has to relive here. His battles with enemies such as Magneto and Omega Red. And there's this really cool page framed around an X that I, I love. Or there's a Weapon X page where, you know, Wolverine is sort of reliving, going through Weapon X. And then they turn into these horrible monsters. This is really one of our like coolest horror comics that we've done of late. I, I love that. And then on top of all that, You've got the Sabretooth of it all. On one hand, of course, Sabretooth, big Wolverine character, but Sabretooth in the last couple of months in the X-Books has been in the pit and his mind, his soul has kind of corrupted it a little bit and, and infected the Krakoan pit. So you get a bit of that. There's this wonderful sequence. And I say wonderful because it is just horrifying with this manifestation of Sabretooth and Wolverine's captions are all we get. No dialogue, it's just captions. And Wolverine is thinking, if I am pain, he is hate. But even that word feels inadequate. 
He is the word beneath that word. Benjamin Percy, getting a little poetic here. I love it. It is dirty. It is vicious. It is bloody. And at the end of it all, though, there's a little bit of hope. And I hope, 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 fingers crossed, a bloody reckoning to come because, man, I just want to see Beast ripped apart by Wolverine right now. I hate him so much so now. Much. Like, it's not even fair. No. It's, I, I hate him. Oh. I, I want him gone. Which is... All right, so now it is time to get into our awards and community section. What was last week's award name? Yes, so last week's award name was the Never Speak Ill of a Tiara Award, which came from the debut issue of Scarlet Witch, issue number one. Love, 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 love that book. We talked a lot about it when it was, I'm pretty sure it was our pick of the week last Mm -hmm. week. And we had so many people (laughs) reach out for this one. Like, I was very impressed with the amount of people who picked up this book, screenshotted it, and sent it into us. Yeah. Uh, We had two that were close enough to be a tie. Lex Pendragon, who got in super duper early, and Eric, who wrote us an email and said... First-time writer and long-time listener, I may be too late, but I wanted to send along the screen capture of your award name for this week. I always look forward to listening to your podcast every week. I love your enthusiasm and your energy. So thank you, Eric. I'm glad you wrote in. You were not too late. But we had a bunch more. We got a great email from Mitch Krumputich, who found the quote in Scarlet Witch number one and said, what a phenomenal book. I knew right away this would be my first read this week, especially because I had a feeling the quote would be here. Last week's episode with Jed McKay was awesome. I loved hearing everything he had to say about Timeless. I especially loved the Miss Minutes variant. Have a great week. Yeah, speaking of variants, Meg Stalker also picked up a couple different variant covers for that week's books. And I feel like she's become my spirit animal. She picks up all the variants that like I want to pick up. And I'm like, you and me are like one in the same. I love it. Yeah, Meg was great. Uh, Meg, Karis Pollard, William R., Richard Lee, they all found the quote this week. Thank you for uh, for letting us know. Uh, thanks for the email, Captain Geek. And then we also had an email from Christopher Shep Anthony, who said, I just got around to reading my most anticipated book of 2023. And as I suspected, I found this week's pull list award quote right there in Scarlet Witch number one. I loved the issue and can't wait for more. Wanda deserves the spotlight. And I'm glad she's finally getting a chance to move past her decades long character troubles to find her voice and positive new adventures. I'm calling it 2023 is the year of Wanda. Thanks for doing such a great job every week with the podcast. Um, But we have to give out an award because it's pivotal to the show. Jasmine, what is this week's award? Yes, we are giving the Carnage Knows How to Party Award. Now, I will say this. We have a Carnage book to talk about this. Don't give them clues. That's all I will say. Does that mean it is (laughs) or it isn't in Carnage? I I guess you're going to have to... psychology. Yeah, you're going to have to pick up Carnage and every other title because if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pulllist at marvel.com. If you're among the first, keep your emails open, your DMs open. I may uh, reach out to you. So again, that quote of the week, the award is the Carnage Knows How to Party Award. We've got to give that out to our new comics this week. Starting with Avengers War Across Time, number one. I uh, got a great variant cover by Laniel Yu that I, I, I really dug. It's got the whole team there. There's a cool Kang versus Avengers story. There's a whole bunch of fun stuff in here. Alan Davis is doing art. I particularly like, there's there's a couple of pages. One, you've got a shot of Kang's trophy room, which is always a delight for me. I love seeing all the, the knickknacks that Kang puts up there. And by knickknacks, I mean like helmets, 
weapons, body parts. His trophies. Yes, his trophies. Uh, There's also a really scary Hulk image that Alan does that kind of reminded me of old school Miracle Man when uh, when Kid Miracle Man is rampaging through London. It's got that level of, of intensity to it. So I really dug that. So that's what I'm going to give my Carnage Knows How to Party award to. It is Scary Scary Hulk. Yes. All right. Next up, we have Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number nine. And I know we keep talking about this book. And one of the things that we keep bringing up is how much Tochi Anibuchi is bringing in from Rick Remender's like Dimension Z run of Captain America. And this issue somehow manages to even like top what he's already been doing. Like he keeps bringing back all these things. And he's just like, hey, remember this? Remember that? Boom. It's now in Sam Wilson's like wheelhouse. He's going to have to deal with it. And for that, like the amount of like synchronicity that is going on there, like I am giving Tochi our Carnage Knows How to Party Award. Yeah. All right. Over into Carnage number nine, the main cover. Jasmine, did you look at that main cover by Kendrick Kuka Lim? It is so gross. (laughs) It's disgusting. It's gross. (laughs) I love it, but I hate it at the same time. It's really gnarly. Uh, I want to give my Carnage Knows How to Party award to Drorin Runehewer, who is a rad character. He is a dwarf, and he's imprisoned in here. I've been playing a lot of God of War Ragnarok lately, so uh, I'm a big fan of surly dwarves, and Drorin (laughs) is surly as all get out. Hell yeah. All right. We got Daredevil number seven next. And one of the things that I love that Chip is doing in this book is he's challenging a lot of these notions of like prison reform and just like how we deal with villains and people who like punish criminals. And this issue brings that all to a head because I want to give my award to Bullet, which is one of the villains that that Daredevil has kind of taken under his arm Mm -hmm. and kind of like really try to help him reform. He even takes him out on a mission to essentially put some of this stuff, some of his teachings to the test. And the amount of like just issues that they have to deal with in this like small little moment, like Daredevil's like, all right, check this out, kid. Like, this is how it's going to work out. And Bullet's like, well, actually, this is a lot grayer than it is black and white. Like, it's not that simple. He really puts Daredevil on his toes and he makes him reconsider just what he's doing. Like, he doesn't necessarily think that he's wrong, but it makes him question his teachings. It puts him on edge. It puts him in a position where he's like, okay, maybe this isn't as simple as I thought it was. And for that, like for a villain to do that to a a hero is chef's kiss. So I got to give him the award for that. Yeah. Up next is Dark Web Ms. Marvel number two. There's a lot in this issue that I don't want to give away. I don't want to spoil too much. All I will say, I want to give my Carnage Knows How to Party award to the line that Ms. Marvel says, all your feathers belong to me, which cracked me up. It uh, reminded me of all your base art belong to us, an old internet meme, but it also ties into some big revelations and some big things going on here. This is again, a dark web tie-in. So Ms. Marvel is getting looped into all the, the demonic shenanigans and resurrections and weird stuff, clone stuff going on in big dark web. Next up, we have Ghost Rider number 10. This could have also been a pick of the week for me. And I know we were talking about Benjamin Percy's just like rage and anguish in Wolverine and like talk about that. Like this book has all of that. And he manages to like truly tackle one of the biggest things that comes with the Ghost Rider, right? Like when we were talking to a friend of the show, Corey Smith, we were talking about Jason Aaron's run of Ghost Rider and like this internal battle that Ghost Rider always faces, right? Like who's in control? Is it Johnny Blaze? Is it the Ghost Rider? And this book really explores that and really answers the question. But that like journey there is just so gruesome and it's not as like simple and not as like 
clean as you would want it to be, but it is, it's an answer. And I want to give my award to Ben Percy for that, but I have to, have to, have to, have to give it to the reveal at the end of this issue because I was Mm -hmm. so hyped when we got that. And it's been something that's been on top of our minds. If you go back to that chat with Corey Smith, like you'll hear all about our love for this particular character. And I'm sure Ghost Rider fans will be extremely happy to know that this person is back. Yeah. Uh, All right. We've got Legion of X number nine up next. This one was such a heartbreaker. I mean, as someone who is a big fan of Legion, of David Haller and everything that he's gone through. And I think we've done we've seen some really incredible character work uh, by Cy Spurrier over the last year or so with David. There's a moment in this issue that I'm going to give my Carnage Knows How to Party Award to where Charles Xavier, David's dad, comes to visit him. And the look of like, wait, joy that he feels when he sees that his father has actually reached out to him to come to see him in this time when everything's going on, to see all the work that David has done for Krakoa, for mutants. Eh, I I don't want to give too much away, but it's going to break your damn heart when you read this. I wanted to scream into the book, be like, stay away. He's, He's mean. I hate him. I know. I know. Professor Xavier is a jerk. Next up, we have Mary Jane and Black Cat issue number two. And the stuff that Jed McKay has been doing with Black Cat over the past couple of years has been phenomenal. And one of those things is her like love interest and her like relationship with Peter and her relationship with her friends and how all these things interact. And there's a moment in here that just explores that inner conflict within Black Cat, right? Like she wants to work this out with MJ. She She's realizing how much of a friend she's become. And while they're on this mission in limbo, they have to work together. And she's trying to be honest and open, trying to have this open dialogue with her. But at the same time, she's realizing that if she does it here, like, you know, the world might end. So maybe not doing it here is a good idea. So for that type of dialogue and that, that type of internal conflict, I have to have to have to give it to Judd McKay. He gets my Carnage Knows How to Party Award. Hell yeah. Uh, on to what could have been one of our picks of the week, Miles Morales Spider-Man number two. There's a bunch of great variants in here. The homage uh, variant by Stephanie Hans, homaging Spider-Man number one by Todd McFarlane. Then there's a really cool graffiti variant by Nicoletta Balderi, which I hope everybody can check out. The colors on that, like I just stared at it for a couple minutes. I was wowed by it. But I'm going to give my Carnage Knows How to Party Award to the team up in this issue between Miles and uh, Misty Knight, which is not something I knew we were getting, something I didn't know I wanted, but I loved it. Their conversation was terrific. It's so good. I don't want to give too much away because there's a lot of spoiler stuff, but Miles is going through some really intense stuff in this arc, and we're going to see more of it. Yes. And the themes that just run along in that conversation are incredibly important, things that we've never really explored here, but Cody Ziegler just knows how to tap into that conversation. Next up, we have Monica Rambeau, Photon, issue number two. This could have been a pick of the week, too. I want to give my Carnage Knows How to Party award to e-viewing because this whole issue explores, like, Monica Rambeau's relationship with the Avengers, her past, and one of the things that we see is the Beyonder kind of bring her. We don't quite know if she's being teleported in time or if she's, like, you know, reality is being warped. There's a lot of questions here. We don't necessarily get answers or resolves, but... One of the things that happens is we get this old Avengers team to kind of confront Monica. And along that team comes a particular Avenger that, you know, I I preferred not to talk about because he's (laughs) the worst. But uh, Dr. Druig is in this issue. And like every single time he opens his mouth, like I just wanted to punch him. And Eve Ewing manages to just like 
take whatever's in my head as a response to whatever he's saying and just throw it on the page and have Monica say it. And I'm like, yes, thank you. I We want this. I wanted to see Monica like really step into her own here and she's doing it. And for that, I got to give Eve my Carnage Knows How to Party Award. Yeah. Uh, all right, on to Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number two. There's a bunch of great covers in here. A friend of the show, Dotun Akande, uh, did a, a great cover, but uh, there's also a variant by Rico, which I super duper loved. And uh, I'm going to give my Carnage Knows How to Party Award to poor Devil Dinosaur getting a tummy ache. There's just, as someone who has cats or has had dogs, and I'm sure you understand this, when your animal friend has like is feeling poorly, you feel it too. And it really got me. All right. Next up, we have Moon Knight number 19. And one of the things that Jed McKay and co have brought into this book and just like general uh, Moon Knight lore is the, the character Hunter's Moon. And we've seen a lot of his appearance in this in this entire run. I mean, we're 19 issues in. And I really love the relationship that they've built together, like between Moon Knight and Hunter's Moon. And in this issue, we get a lot of that. We get to see them tag team. We get to see them, how they help each other and how they interact together, like how their fighting styles just kind of like, for better or worse, like just work together, but also like complement each other in, in weird ways. Like they're just good. Like they're different types of people. They're different types of styles and they work. But one of the things that I want to give my carnage knows how to party award is a revelation that we get about Kanshu and his like powers and how they're working and and how they work in the larger sense of godhood and mortality if that makes sense i don't mm-hmm. want to give too much away but no. there's a massive revelation here that i think will have repercussions throughout the years in moon knight for sure all right we've got issue number six of predator i believe this is the last issue of this first run and it is so good they've been killing it uh pun intended on this one this is a big culminating moment here where we get to see the the showdown with the predator that we've been hunting the whole series i can't talk about too much here without getting into what's going on but this is a very bloody brutal issue probably the most of the run which is saying a lot like there are Mm -hmm. Many people who are dismembered throughout this, but uh, I want to give my Carnage Knows How to Party Award to this uh, a sequence where uh, the main character, she's like, she's seeing death coming for her and she's like, no, 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 not like this, not like this. It It's just violent as all get out. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty intense, not for the kiddies, but it's a hell of a great predator story. Oh, it's so, so good. Next up, we have Savage Avengers number nine and talk about dismemberment and just goriness. Like this whole book is just chock full of a bunch of different, like so many different layers of art, so many different layers of just like storytelling. For that, I want to give Carlos Magnum my Carnage Knows How to Party Award because I know for a fact that if this book was coming out when I was a kid and I was picking it up, not that I think it's necessarily age appropriate for a child to pick up at a comic book store, but (laughs) I know for a fact that I would be like just devouring each one of these pages and i would be flipping through it over and over and over again because there's so much jam-packed into this art like Mm. there are things going on in the background there is like all these like crazy designs and redesigns of all these different characters we get like ultra inspired looks for our mainline team including like this amazing look that black knight like black knight has never looked cooler and i love jacket avengers black knight a lot but ultron black knight in this book is horrifying but also really badass looking so here for it totally 
We have a trio of Star Wars books this week. First up is Star Wars Darth Vader number 30. This is all about the handmaidens who uh, worked for her dub- the doubles of Queen Amidala and their revenge, their missions, all that kind of stuff. It's been one of my favorite Star Wars runs uh, that we've done in the last bunch of years that we've had Star Wars comics. But I'm going to give my Carnage Knows How to Party Award to the covers by Raza, who always does just incredible covers. It's only lit by Darth Vader's lightsaber, and it's so dramatic. Dramatic, and it's so cool. We actually did a variant without the trade dress on it, which if you can get that one, that's so cool. That should be framed up and, and put on walls. It is brilliant. Amazing. Next up in the Star Wars universe, we have Star Wars The High Republic number four. And I got to give my award to Calvin Scott because the amount of like world building that he's doing in this little pocket of the universe, like this era of Star Wars lore is just so rich and like ready to be tapped into. The exploration of not only like politics and government, but like how this, because like the Jedi's are a religion, like how that kind of it gets incorporated into society at this time, how it, you know, butts heads with different members of this particular era and like government is just delicious. And there's a lot of drama going on here. There's a lot of things that are at stake and I cannot imagine how much fun he's having because I would die to have this opportunity. Hell yeah. All right, last Star Wars book is Star Wars The Mandalorian number seven. I will say I'm going to give my Carnage Knows How to Party Award to the page in which we finally see the client again. And if, if you've seen the show, there's no way you don't hear the client's voice from the series on those pages it's like immediate that moment that feeling of transporting back to the the series was real fun all right next up we have tiger division number three i adore this book and i i want everybody to be able to pick this up because it is such an underrated title right now i believe like it's not a book that has these massive waves in the marvel universe it is slowly happening in this corner of the world but in this issue, we get the origin story behind Taguki and his powers um, and how it might infect the rest of the team. Um, but also weaved into that, we get this like incredible story about friendship over like a long period of time and how like, you know, things change, how deception and money and power all kind of corrupts a friendship and how that conflict can ruminate over time and really build up into something big here. And that's what we're really starting to see. But tensions are getting higher and higher and i cannot wait to see how emily kim wraps this up so for that i'm giving emily kim my carnage knows how to party award yeah all right last book of the week is x-men number 18 should have could have would have been one of our picks of the week just so damn good uh i want to give my carnage knows how to party award to every single page and panel in this book it's so awesome it really focuses on wolverine aka laura the laura who was brought back from the children of the vault in their city who didn't die who has all her memories who has the hundreds of years of history with sync and she's come back and now we've got two lauras and there's so much going on and there's drama and there's there's action and adventure and then you get the exterminators in this book i freaking love this title it's so good everything about this rules so hard i love laura Lots of great books for y'all to pick up this week. Of course, go check them out at your local comic shop. And while you're there, there are a ton of collections on sale this week. Some of the ones we wanted to highlight, the Deadpool Black, White, and Blood trade paperback, which is different from the sort of larger treasury edition size that were released last year. So now you can get it in the regular trade paperback version. There's a Secret Wars omnibus out this week, which includes the original 12-issue Secret Wars limited series. And it's got some tie-in issues from Thor, She-Hulk, And most importantly, 
two issues of the 80s slash 90s What If series, issue four and issue 114, which is a really hard issue to find and print. And maybe now, if we haven't already, putting it on Marvel Unlimited because it's a really difficult issue to find. I know I spent a lot of money finding it years ago uh, to finish my, my run of What If, but it's really good. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, over on the Marvel Unlimited Infinity Comics side of things, we have a bunch of new books. We have X-Men Green number four, or now we have issue number 69 there that series has been fun to just follow along we have avengers unlimited zodiac key number 28 we have spider-verse unlimited a tale of two cities 32 we have two issues of marvel's voices coming out which is a crescent and io story so highly recommend you read those as well as avengers electric rain infinity comic number 11 love unlimited karma in love number 32 and it's jeff issue number 24 what a good world in which we've gotten 24 issues of It's Jeff. And did you see that we're getting a printed copy too? Oh, I, I'm aware that that cover uh, by Diwali, that variant with Jeff and Namor is pure fire. Pure fire. Oh, I can't. I'm, I'm picking up multiple issues. I need to make sure that this continues. Yeah. Also new to Marvel Unlimited this week, books that came out three months ago, including Avengers X-Men Eternal Star Fox, Avengers X-Men Eternal's X-Men, uh, Spider-Man number one, the first issue by Dan Slott and Mark Bagley. That's starting all the end of Spider-Verse stuff. X-Men Red number seven and Miracle Man number zero, which is so good. It's got a story by Jason Aaron and Laniel Yu, a Peach Momoko story, a Ryan Stegman story, all in the Miracle Man, you know, apocrypha-ish universe. We love us some Miracle Man. So good. But we're going to be talking about Silver Surfer next mm -hmm. with friend of the show, Torin Clark. Super excited about this because we're going to be talking about issue number five from the Silver Surfer 1969 run, um, or 68 run. Issue came out in 69, but we're going to be talking about that, which has the debut of L.B. Harper, who is the, I guess, star of the upcoming series, Silver Surfer Ghostlight, issue number one, which I'm super excited. Torin's doing the covers on that. And let's get into our chat about L.B. Harper, as well as Silver Surfer, the rebirth of Thanos. All right, Jasmine, let's get on our surfboard. And I look, I, honestly, I have no idea how one functions with a surfboard. It terrifies mm -hmm. me, just the thought of it. But from surfing the spaceways, it's going to be great. And we are delighted to be joined by returning guest, Torin Clark. Hello, Torin. Ryan, thank you for having me. Jasmine, thank you for having me. Everyone, thank you for having me. <laughs> Welcome to the show again. We're super excited. I did. I went back to see when the last time we had you on the show was, and I it think was, it was almost a year ago. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was for the Marvel Voices uh, with Angelique, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was one of yeah. the legacy issues. Like, yeah, Marvel. I'm excited because a lot has happened since then. You've been working on a lot more. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been wild. I feel like I see a cover of yours almost every book. Yeah, uh, I, I that we been... read. You're popping. It's still no interiors. I think we were talking about that at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll save that for something real special. All right, we'll see. We'll get you there. I feel like we've gotten you cracked a little bit. That's a yes. softer answer <laughs> yeah. than we had last time. <laughs> so I feel good. Hard no. It was a hard no last time. Yeah, yeah. I think if the right uh, character and the right reasoning came around, I would be, I'd be into that. Like a short story. I don't think I would want to do a whole issue. We've got you know? so many anthologies. Oh, we have Infinity yeah, Comics. So many ways for us to yeah. get our Torrent Clark fix. But 
Maybe that's in the future. Right now, we will be talking about some great Silver Surfer comics. Original Silver Surfer number five from 1969. Silver Surfer, the rebirth of Thanos from uh, 89 into 1990. A couple of issues there. Uh, all of that because... We want to talk about Silver Surfer Ghost Light, which is coming out February 1st, 2023. And you, Torn, are the cover artist for that. Yes, I cannot express to you how excited I am to be on this book. It's ridiculous how much of a life dream it is. So, fun fact, I got the call from my editor, Darren, and he basically pitched the story. Or he kind of was like, oh, would you be interested in, you know, kind of a broad outline. But then he ran back and kind of explained the concept of the story and how it related to the original Lee Basima run, which was my dad's favorite. And I still had, until a few years ago, I had most of that run, uh, the originals. Like, oh my God, it, it, it's such an interesting book. Cause it's like, yeah. you know, you get the surfer fresh off of his, like, I've been in space and he's not remotely human at all. But I remember the issue that, that uh, you know, they were referencing. I remembered issue five. I remember Al B. Harper. I remembered all that. I was like, oh my God, yeah, sign me up, sign me up. Also, if you don't know, I love drawing shiny stuff. So having Silver Surfer and Gold Goblin at the same time was like, you fools. Why would you just, <laughs> just feed this addiction? Let me draw more shiny crap. I will do this all day and all night. You got the gold book, the silver book. You just need a, a bronze book. Yeah, give me a bronze book. So, okay. When I reached out to you, I knew I wanted to talk to you about Silver Surfer because you had kind of already shared this with me off mic. Like we were kind of just chatting on Instagram and you had mentioned the story that you were working on, how you were excited about it. And I was like, okay, let's talk about Ghost Light and Silver Surfer. Your history with Silver Surfer has also kind of evolved based off of that original run, right? For sure. It's funny to talk with, with you guys about this. Like Ryan had kind of mentioned growing up with that run happening and revisiting the Jim Starlin stuff was interesting because I don't know from a sales standpoint or like a company standpoint how they viewed Silver Surfer. But for us, like, you know, X-Men was like the big thing. So anything else was like fringe. It was like, oh, who reads the Avengers in the 80s? Nerds. Like, literally nobody. <laughs> the cool kids are reading X-Men. So Silver Surfer was kind of like this weird cosmic pocket of just, you know, whatever was happening. But the ramp up from like 33, which was Axe of Vengeance, which is where I really started collecting. Because again, that mm. was going that, that issue back is there. Bonkers too. Yeah. That issue with Impossible Man, Jim yeah. Valentino, written by it. Jim, written by Jim Valentino. Yeah, drawn by the amazing Ron Lim. Um, it's a good starting point for that next arc. It really kind of cleans the slate of all this the Kree Squirrel stuff going on before. But when Starlin's arc starts with the Thanos stuff, it just ramps up, and it's it's like a slow burn. I mean, I was like, this was what ninety one. So I was like a 89, like 89, 89, 89, when those right, right, right. Cause it was right after, right after the act of So yeah, I was like nine. And I remember it was almost the end of the uh, school year when I got silver surfer 50 after like slowly reading all of these issues. And it was like, you know, the silver embossed cover came out and silver surfers fighting against the stone version of Thanos. And then bam, it's infinity gauntlet. It was just like such a huge, huge thing. And it was again, totally, on the side of everything else. Like it didn't seem to run through any of the other books. It wasn't like a big crossover yet, but it was such a major story that had such major repercussions. It was definitely one of those books that kind of informed my personal tastes of how a comic story should work. So this is the first time I've ever read this run. 
to be completely honest. And it was like really cool to get into it because I, I agree. I think it was a great starting point. It's just well told. It's very much a slow burn. But I, I was also questioning like the sales aspect of it. I'm like, this isn't a character that was like huge or in popularity. Right. And to see Thanos almost like one, he gets revived, but two to like almost it, it almost felt like it was just this like return, his like reboot. And it made yeah. it seem like he was this massive like rock star villain, which I mean, yes, he was. But it made him seem a lot bigger than he had ever been. And I devoured these five issues to the point where I was like, I'm picking up Thanos quest like ASAP because I need to read this. And I read it last night and I like, highly recommend if you're going to read this with us to pick that up on the side too, because it is so, 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 so good. It's just fascinating to me that these were being released at the same time as some of these other amazing books. Like you were talking about, like this is X-Men in the ta- like heyday. Like it's great. Right, right. And to know that this is happening in the pocket over here in the Marvel universe is just wild to me. There's so much to go off of. In terms of the sales thing, I gather that sales were good. In 1987, Joe Satriani, the guitar virtuoso, released Surfing with the Alien, um, which is a record, all, all <laughs> yes. about Silver Surfer. We had Joe at the office once, and he was great, and he loved Silver Surfer. Like Silver Surfer had this weird space, but then once you get past 50, the book is double shipping. You can't double ship a book that is not that popular. It is coming out right. every other week. Right. And so that book was on fire, partially because of Infinity Gauntlet coming out and really sparking mm. interest and and they go so so closely, so hand in hand. But Thanos dies in like the late 70s and he he was cool and he was big and scary, but he didn't do a lot. He wasn't a huge character. Starlin coming back in in 89 with Silver Surfer number 34 basically he kind of writes history the way he wants it to set things up because this is a long ramp up to Infinity Gauntlet. For modern readers, if you've never read this, it reminds me of Jonathan Hickman's work on Avengers. He is setting up so many things, so many layers, so many systems, so many characters, so that when the payoff comes, you have a mountain underneath you that has fortified this structure. And when you get to Infinity Gauntlet, you are off to the races, but there's a year and a half of track laid for this. It's incredible. I've read this so many, this run so many times <laughs> over the years. I've had like multiple collections of the Rebirth of Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. They, we've reprinted it in so many ways. So coming back to it now was a delight, reminding me that when you get here, like Silver Surfer had never met Thanos at the start of this. Like right. there's a lot of. Yeah, build, he's like, building oh, I, I heard about this guy from the Avengers. Like, he seems right. he has to go guess, to Avengers like, headquarters and ask yeah. them about him. Right. Yeah. And, and the Avengers are like, oh, that guy, uh, he's fine. You know, we fought yeah, him a couple of times. Of... He, he was a threat, I guess. I think we killed him <laughs> twice. Yeah, he, we killed him like twice. Yeah. He, and even then, they're still like dismissive of him because, again, yeah. Avengers in the 80s, highly yeah. ineffectual group. But continuing. <laughs> It's so fun. It's it's so good. I love that cons- the comparison to Jonathan Hickman's uh, Avengers run because it does feel like that. Like yeah. there are so many. Like I, I hate to use the word reboot, but it does feel like that's what Jim Starlin's doing. Like what, like you were saying, he's rewriting history and like writing it in a way that sets him up. But like simply put, he like renames the Soul Gems, the Infinity Gems, right, and like their own page, he yeah. <laughs> he gives them like each their own identity. He like he does all of this just fundamental groundwork that just really, really sets the tone for Infinity Gauntlet. But also just like like these books, like I've never feared Infinity Gauntlet more than when I, I finished reading this. Like Infinity Gauntlet like is great. Like I love it. It's definitely one of my favorites. But 
Thanos in these issues of Silver Surfer, like it just yeah. gives you a reason to actually fear him. Like the stuff that he's talking to, a, like with Death about, the stuff that he talks to Mephisto about. There's one scene in, I believe, issue 34 or 5 where he takes Silver Surfer to a planet and then like tells him like, oh, like you've already done my half some of my work. Like you brought this bacteria to this planet and you have decimated their like entire, like half of their population already. And I'm like, that is some evil like like yeah yeah it's and it's brilliant I, there's yeah a, there's a little there's a little bit of nuance to it as well which i loved for, for example okay so we see when silver surfer goes to chat with the avengers and captain america she hulk punches silver surfer right in the face yeah silver surfer doesn't even blink and he's like oh yeah i guess i bumped into the you know this hulk and it was fine yeah but to establish the power level of thanos surfer blasts thanos with you know his full blast and thanos is like are you done yeah. So on the scale of okay, this guy is a huge threat. There's little breadcrumbs here and there which I I loved. Like you you see, okay, Surfer is way above a Hulk, and Thanos is way above the Surfer. So what yeah. kind of power level are we even talking about? Yeah. But one of yeah. the, the great things in this first couple of issues is they also telegraph how Thanos will lose Infinity Gauntlet. They express yes. to you because yes. it, like it's it's a part of like his character. He gets godhood. And he tethers himself to reality in a way, and that's how he's beaten. It's how he's beaten in Infinity Gauntlet. It's how he was defeated the first time. I yep. love mm-hmm. that Starlin is there, and he's like, "Here, it's all here. It's yeah. right, right here. Right. There are no questions the, to be had. <laughs> I show you my cards. Now I'm going to show you how the magic is done. And over the course of that year and a half, and then two years or so, it's spectacular stuff. We should get into the creative team because we've mentioned them here and there. So we're talking about Silver Surfer issues 34 through 38 from the run that starts in 1987. These issues come out December of 1989 to April of 1990. It's written by Jim Starlin. His first issue is 34. Um, They actually, in part of what you were talking about, Torrin, and sort of like coming in and giving a clean slate, brand new logo, which has become yep. the, the, the sort of de facto Silver Surfer logo, Brilliant um, logo ever since. It's a beautiful, great logo. It's penciled by Ron Lim, who starts his actually, his run on Silver Surfer is at like 15. Yeah. And in the opening splash of that with the credits page, it's like, and let us introduce you to like the glory that is Ron Lim. And it's such a great bombastic intro to truly one of the greatest artists of this period he is for sure you could call him a workhorse but that doesn't really give him the credit for how no. good he is right what he does right like it's, he's he's going toe-to-toe with george perez on the infinity yeah. Gauntlet run and it's it's almost seamless like yeah. he would do these these crossovers like infinity war and infinity crusade where he's drawing 300 characters a page and it's seamless the emotion in the story the emotion in how he portrays the characters and, and the sequentials are just so good. And yeah. for me, as a Silver Surfer fan, like he's definitely in my upper echelon of, of guys who've drawn Silver Surfer. And usually I like yeah. I like weirder uh, representations of the Surfer. Like Mobius is my favorite, you know? Like oh. I want him to look alien. But yeah. Ron Lim's slow humanization of the Surfer, which is a very important point, like... Surfer in the Busima issues feels very alien and very foreign. And I don't know if this was a something they were thinking of consciously, but from the Basima run where Norin is this outsider to you see the Surfer kind of gaining this humanity and this new perspective on life through his interactions with the Skrulls and the Kree and the impossible man who's like, you need to lighten up. You can see it in the body language and Ron Lim captures that perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also like different challenges, right? Like, 
it's a lot easier to make Silver Surfer look alien when he's on Earth. Not saying that it's easy by any means to draw like Silver Surfer, but like it's there's a difference. There's like that immediate contrast that like makes him stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. In the Bushema run, whereas like when you have him in in space amongst all these other like different planets and aliens and backdrops, like you do have to create that and that subtlety that is in his art is just you can see it. Like it's the thing that makes him one feel more human at times, but also two like reminds you that yeah, this isn't. Just a normal guy. Yep, exactly. Concurrently with just these issues, Ron Lim is drawing or releasing at the same time issues of Captain America, Mm. several issues of Conan the Barbarian, an issue of Excalibur, a story in one of our anthologies. And that's just during these few months. He is still, throughout his tenure, he's doing sometimes two issues of Silver Surfer a month, sometimes still doing Captain America, sometimes doing this. He jumps on, he he takes his time to do uh, the Thanos Quest two-parter, but he's also then jumping into Infinity Gauntlet. He is doing so much work. He doesn't slow down. It's incredible. I, I don't know how he did it and kept that level of quality throughout. For sure. And it's fun because it, he's just so dynamic, right? Like you yes. get to issue, what is it? Issue 36, where you get Impossible Man returning. We're coming back, yeah. And like the way he draws Impossible Man is just so different than everything else that he's shown you in the past couple yes. of books. Like the the uh, level of just cartooniness to it yes. and just like, like it's perfect for the character. It's on brand, but at the same time, it's just like, this is a master at his work. He's like, oh, I know what I'm doing. Like I can, I can make it look like this if I need to. For sure. And it is. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he's yeah. doing like Groucho Marx and like Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> caricatures and they're seamless. But they, and they're more illustrative than his cartooning work in with the surfer or everything else. So it's like but it still works. This is like a really well done juxtaposition of these real life things and Henny Youngman jokes or whatever. <laughs> versus, <laughs> you know, the surfer being this chrome guy standing on the moon or whatever. Yeah. It, it's it's really interesting and really, really, that's a lot of skill. Yeah. The team is rounded out by inker Tom Christopher, colorist Tom Vincent, letterer Ken Brusenak, and it's all edited by Craig Anderson. The interesting thing is, so 38 ends and it's, it is basically, okay, now get ready. Thanos Quest is coming this summer. So April 1990 kicks us into July, August of 1990. We have the two issues of Thanos Quest by Jim Starlin and Ron Lim, which that deserves its own show for us to talk about. I have those, I've had those those two issues, the prestige format one shots for those for years. And I would hope anyone can find original copies of these. They may not be <laughs> cheap anymore, but the, I want the them. quality of paper <laughs> that they used, the printing process, like there's something to be said for looking at them and the way they were originally intended and the way that there's a texture to the art and the colors and everything about them that doesn't always come across in Marvel Unlimited or even in modern reprintings with different paper. I feel like there was a good run of like these upper echelon kind of uh, comics from that era. Thanos Quest, I want to say it was a Marvel fanfare that really started pushing the the idea of like like better stock and just better coloring. Mm-hmm. I forgot about Thanos Quest, honestly. Like, I remember having, like, I, and being like, what oh, the hell? That, those two issues, like, I, because, like, Ryan was like, you need to read these, like, in the original quality. And, like, to be fair, to give Marvel Unlimited, like, people who work on that, like, their credit, like, when you flip through it in the digital comic, like, they do a good job. At, like, yeah, you yeah. can see the texture. And I'm like, you can tell that there's a different type of cardstock that's being used there. 
immediately after reading them too, because I, I have the collected edition and immediately after reading them, I'm like, I'm already on eBay trying to figure out who has copies of this because I oh, want man. them. That yeah. This story is easily one of my like favorite like stories. And it's yeah. it's so simple. It's just Thanos collecting the Infinity Gems. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's so good. But in these issues of Silver Surfer, we get the first meeting of Surfer and Thanos for the first time. The rebirth of Thanos after, yeah. you know, 12 years or whatever it is. The rebirth of Drax for a period of time. So reestablishing mm-hmm. characters that now are main world pop culture icons in Thanos and Drax. They come back here in new ways, really, really interestingly here. We only talk about through 38, kind of, but Torin, your idea of going through straight to 50 is honestly (laughs) the best way to read this. You want to pepper in the the Thanos quest issues, but there's throughout that whole run, Jim and and Ron, and there's like three fill-in artists during this run. It's very minimal. Yeah, they pepper in so much to lead you to Infinity Gauntlet. And it's not a carrot and stick thing. Each issue feels like its own story. You walk away feeling like, man, I'm going to read what's next. Well, that yeah. that's kind of how issue number 36 sort of feels when you first start reading it. And then you, you quickly realize, like at the end of it, how important it is to mm-hmm. Silver Surfer's just like development as this Thanos threat is imminent. It's just like, oh, I do need to lighten up. I need to think about outside of box. Like, the tease at the end of 35 is so funny to me because it's like, oh, like you'll never guess it's going to be in the next issue. They're purple and green. And it has a big old picture of like Drax the Destroyer. Right. And you're like, I don't know. I wonder who could be. And then you open up 36 and you're like, oh, it's impossible, man. Yeah. You like, but like it, it, it totally felt like a carrot on stick, but it wasn't like it was very vital to the story. And I love that. Yeah. 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 Even, even the, the, I think this might've been after our little window, but there was the, uh, the Dynamo City arc, which, almost feels like filler but it kind of fleshes out surfer's sense of morality and what he can and can't do and i kind of understand why that was put in there it's it it also helps kind of flesh out the surfer's personality before we enter the infinity gauntlet and i think starlin's underlying kind of tone of what kind of man is the surfer what kind of person is he what who was norin rad and who is the silver surfer and where do they meet what's the venn diagram of this person what's his morality leading into what will be the biggest event of his life at that point. I I think that's a really interesting kind of thread that runs through those issues. Absolutely. And it leads us into the other issues we we wanted to hit on, 49 and 50, which 49 is great. It's a lot of Thanos and Mephisto getting into their toxic relationship. And, you know, if you've just read Infinity Gauntlet, there's so much more to the two of them. Yeah. Like bantering around and, oh. The the way he has Mephisto around his finger, like twisted around, it's just like, it's so petty. And Mephisto's just like, yes, master, whatever you, like, I'm just like, what is, like, I I mean, like, if you've read Infinity Gauntlet, you get that taste, like you said, Ryan. But like, then you're like, oh, like, no, he's really like a sidekick here. Like, yeah, which is, it's crazy because it's like, again, that sense of scale. Before that, I can't think of a single time where Mephisto wasn't only beaten by like the slimmest of like chances. This, This is like. Oh man, we're we're gonna die! Oh, something happens, and then we we kind of figure it out. And Thanos is just kicking him around the pages, like ah, get out of mm-hmm. my face! Hey, you dork! Yeah, <laughs> everything you were talking about, Torin, with that Dynamo City leads into fifty, really, because fifty is this big exploration of who Norn is and was, yes. his history, what what yeah. has made him who he is, his history with Thanos. Like, there's so much in there. I will say, if you are reading these, or if you haven't read them yet, f- issue 50 deals with suicide in a big way. So please, you know, take that into account. Um, but you you have this stone golem of Thanos, which is yeah. beautifully rendered. The rendering oh, yeah. of that 
is something yeah. that I was thinking about your use of, of reflection and shininess and how important that is to some of the, the characters that you're doing on your covers, but how that feeling that you get by looking at that stone golem version of Thanos, it yeah. is depicted so beautifully. Honestly, that one page had such an influence on me. Anybody who reads this, I would suggest also reading through issue number 59. Ron Mars comes on for issue 51 on. And his Ron yes. Mars's run as writer of Silver Surfer is so good. Yes. So, so Absolutely. good. He introduces and, and brings back a whole bunch of stuff. But 51 through 59 are all Infinity Gauntlet tie-ins. And some of those are so deeply ingrained in my brain that yes. sometimes they supersede my my remembrance of the actual events of the main Infinity Gauntlet yes. run. It's yes. so good. And Ron is still working on almost all those issues too, while yes. still finishing <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet. It's crazy. What was interesting about those tie-ins was that, unlike a lot of other crossovers, that these tie-ins from the Silver Surfer book felt integral to the actual story. Like it explained the actual battles that were happening, why everyone was dead on the issue, the cover of issue two or whatever of Infinity Gauntlet. Like you really are getting the behind-the-scenes plays, and it doesn't miss a beat. I think maybe Tom Rainey came in for a couple of Tom Rainey issues. does issue 59. Who I one love. Other. I love Tom Rainey. And it was like, if I have to have a consolation prize from Ron Lim, I will gladly take Tom Rainey. Right? Oh, so good. I will say that issue 50, the last one of, of what we're talking about, ends with Silver Surfer crashing into Str Dr. Strange's house, which is mm -hmm. how Infinity Gauntlet number one, we, yeah. we were sort yep. of like, that's in media rest of that, the main story. And it's also mirrored in the MCU with Hulk. Yeah. It's such an important thing. And it happens mm -hmm. on yeah. the page there. Read these damn comics. That was the most like, not mind blowing, but it was just like, it just, it, it was perfect. Because to me, like that's, I, I've read Infinity Gauntlet so many times. And like that image of like Silver Surfer just screaming at Doctor Strange being like, Thanos is coming. Like, it was just so eerie. But like, if you just pick up that book, that's the first time you're like, you know, maybe hearing about this threat. Yeah, yeah. But if you had read and like, it just made me like reading all of this, like 34 through 38 and beyond, like really sets up like why he's like terrorized by it. Like it, it really gives context to why he's feeling that way. And it, it just like clicks so perfectly. Like, I love that Brian, you kept, you mentioned Jonathan Hickman's run of Avengers. Cause it feels very much like that. It's just like all the things are set in place. You start there and like, it's just a go the minute you get to issue number one of Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talk so about good. sticking the landing. As a kid, again, I'm, I'm nine years old. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just reading my funny books. But these feel, <laughs> these feel so much deeper and bigger stakes than anything else that's going on. And it's like, well, why don't the Avengers care? Why aren't the Fantastic Four around? Where, where are the X-Men? Yeah. This is the surfer's story. This is his little microcosm until it's not. And that's what's interesting about how the stakes are immediately raised and the start of Infinity Gauntlet 1, where half the universe is already wiped out, it's like, oh, okay, maybe you guys have been paying attention to this guy. Yeah, well, 49, <laughs> issue number 49 of Silver Surfer is him racing to Earth. And like, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he is trying. Like, he's he's like, oh, I got to go talk, talk to the Avengers. Like, yeah, that's the thing. Everything is happening so fast. Yeah. They're, they're putting so much into these comics. And uh, we do want to make sure we mention a little bit more about Silver Surfer number five, the issue by Stan Lee and John Buscema. Can you tell us, Torn, who Albie Harper is and what that means to Silver Surfer Ghostlight? So Albie Harper was a scientist who was kind of this uh, loner kind of fella. He's, he's doing his own thing. He per, uh, ends up coming into contact with the surfer 
through you know the surface travels at this point the surface kind of just wandering the planet because he's still banished from being able to leave the earth so he's he's just kind of wandering and soul searching and he happens upon Albie harper the crux of it is the world is in this grave danger and al ends up saving the surface life and sacrifices himself in the middle of it and you know the surfer kind of goes about it as you know wow this human sacrificed himself for me you know and it becomes this kind of emotional thing but we don't really see al ever again like this is pretty much the end of al but al's this guy who saved the world saved the surfer and was the hero of the story i have not read the script for john ira jennings book yet but i'm really excited because the team on the on the book is fantastic i cannot express to you how excited i am to see it in action it's got the stranger. It's got Al coming back as Ghostlight. There's a couple of other twists in there. I think I'm finishing up issue four's cover, but the concept art, just the just the the designs, everything is just gorgeous. I'm really really excited to see where the story goes. Reading so this is the first time I read this issue Same. as well. This is one of those books that just like really one. I think it's one of the best like Marvel books. It's up there for me, like for sure. One of the best ones because it's just like it's very Marvel at its core. It tells you this small story in a small pocket of the world, but it like it's a very humanizing story. It, it not only talks about this guy who who saves Silver Surfer and saves the world, and then we never see him again because he passes away. But like it's also a black man, yeah. and like. I think one of the things that I am fascinated by is like this issue came out in 1969 and it's a black yeah. man who's like pretty much just like, all right, surfer, you're going to have to live a day in my shoes yeah. and like experience life similar to how I experience it. And it's, it's very subtle. Like it's never like spelled out for you. Yes. It's just like, if you could pick this book up and not get any of that, but if you like, for me as a woman of color, like it was something that immediately stood out to me. I was like, Oh, I see what's going on. Yeah. And to see the surfer go through all of that and then to end with the death of Al is just brutal. Yeah. There's a great page where, you know, Surfer wakes up from his coma or what have you, and Al's like, hey, you need some coffee or something? And Surfer's like, who yeah. are you? And why did you help me? And, you know, Surfer kind of explains his story, and Al explains his story, and there's a, a mutual, we're both outsiders, and yeah. persecuted for who we are. And Al's like, yeah, no, I see that. I feel you on that. And they, they, yeah. they kind of you know, find their common point, And that's kind of where Al standoffishness to the surfer and surfers general distrust of humans kind of fades away and they kind of understand each other. During that scene, one of the funniest lines or to me, it's the thing that stuck out was like, so the reason why surfer is like what the situation that he's in is like, essentially he's trying to get through this force field that's surrounded earth by Galactus. Right. He can't escape earth. And it's literally a glass ceiling. It's literally a glass ceiling that he's trying to break through. And Al's like, yep, I know exactly what that's about. Mm. And like, as a scientist in that industry, I'm just like, again, very subtle. It's never really said, stated out loud, but it's just like, it's just one of those stories that reminds you how great Stan Lee was at doing this thing. Because this was a straight up Stan Lee, John Buscema book. And I was talking to uh, J.M. DeMatisse about this, which was, again, I get to talk to these guys. (laughs) What what, (laughs) What a ridiculous sentence I just said. But we, we kind of were talking about it in regards to the Silver Surfer and how what was interesting, especially juxtaposed against, you know, Starlin and the 80s run, how intimate and, and small these stories are. But they're very much an important part of the surface history because you see him seeing humanity at ground level and yeah. his interactions with people like Al 
kind of help inform him to the person that he's going to be when, you know, how he is now. You know, he wasn't always that person. He was apprehensive of the human race. They were barbaric. They were self-destructive, mm-hmm. murderous creatures. And he just was, I want to get out of here. The first thing I want to do is get out of here. But, you know, people like Al helped show him there's more to that. There's nuance to human beings. You know, they were mm-hmm. not all, we're not all monsters. Yeah. I'm excited to see Al's story come back into the modern Marvel universe and, and whatever else we get from him in Silver Surfer Ghostlight, again, coming out February 1st, 2023, with you on covers, Torin. More, more, more. Uh, last question before we let you go. What's the most recent cover you've drawn that you can talk about? I would probably say this Silver Surfer Ghostlight number three. Four okay. more I'm currently working on. So three involves surfer and uh and al kind of putting aside their differences because they don't quite see eye to eye around issue two you know the usual Uh, yeah i i don't think that al's very happy to be back and (laughs) wants to know what's going on but they find a very they find a very common thread and very quickly have to address it the cover to number two is pretty telling of that yeah (laughs) it's al just punching the hell out of yeah. Silver Surfer, just clocking him across the face. Salbasuma knocked the guy off his feet, backwards flying, yeah. Oh, yeah. gorgeous. Love it. Thank you, Torrin. Always a pleasure and a half, Ryan. Thank you, we'll Jasmine. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Yes, For sure. please. I, I'm glad to be able to chat with you guys. Big thank you to Torin Clark for coming back on the show. Uh, I guess we're going to have to make it a yearly thing with Torin, um, if not more. Can we make it sooner? Yeah. <laughs> sure. He's. I'm sure he'll have more work to do for us. Uh, but yeah, everybody, if you could not hear by our enthusiasm in that chat, Silver Surfer by Jim Starlin and Ron Lim is one of the greatest things ever. I will. Anyone who disagrees with me is flat out wrong. Yes. And also, like we talked about a bunch of different books that also kind of tie into this uh, particular run. Check the show notes. We're going to definitely have all that linked out, including Thanos Quest, uh, oh, which yeah. is an absolute must read if you have not read it yet. Yeah. I went back again and started looking at those issues. And I was just like feeling Gorgeous. them. Just touching oh. them. Yeah. So good. So so jealous that you have ah, I win again but let's wrap it up this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos Jasmine Estrada and Cara McGurk-Allison Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development Jill DeBoth is our Director of Audio make sure to review rate subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a little note feel free to email us give us a shout out uh, or give your local comic shop a shout out uh, and make sure you mark all your emails okay to read yeah I'm Ryan and I'm Jasmine this is Marvel your universe.